served with hoorah. You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's Bad With Money with Gabby Dunn. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn, and this is Bad With Money, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. One thing I want to say before we start is that I have a new book out on Scribd Originals called Stimulus Wreck. If you go to my Instagram, at Gabby Road, you can get the link to be able to hear the audiobook and read it for free for 60 days. And if you liked Bad With Money, my first book, this is an update to that that takes into account the last three years of the pandemic. So it's good for starting over after a financial disaster, whether that's global or personal, or for starting for the first time during a disaster. Um, So yeah, uh, go to my Instagram and you can get Stimulus Rec there starting June 8th for Freezy. Now back to our show. When I was in high school, I came back from summer vacation one year and a few of my teachers had clearly all had plastic surgery over the break. On the carpool lane, I overheard some gossiping parents saying that the teachers had traveled together to Brazil for breast implants and butt lifts because they were cheaper to get outside the U.S., They all looked great, by the way. Even the facelifts were very subtle. Medical tourism is an industry that began booming in the 1980s, though the practice itself is traced by historians back to ancient Greece. From traveling to different temples to pray for their specific ailments, to the 1920s American popularity of hot springs for bodily rejuvenation, Les Simpson writes in The History, Evolution, and Future of Medical Tourism that humans have been traveling for wellness in various ways forever. In the last four decades, people have traveled for procedures their home countries simply won't do, such as gender confirmation surgeries. But the more recent phenomenon is the need to travel for affordable health care, medical care for reasonable prices. Whenever we see a story about traveling for medical care or surgeries, elective or needed, the usual headline is a scare tactic. I googled and found so many. Someone went to South America and got cement injected into their body. Someone gets a heart transplant in Turkey and drops dead upon arriving home. Someone develops gangrene or flesh-eating bacteria, signifiers that these places are clearly inferior to the great United States. And those things do happen, sure. But more likely, it's as simple as driving 10 minutes across the border for a cheaper but just as well-done dentist appointment. In May 2021, The Hill reported that one in six Americans are staying at jobs they don't want to stay at simply for the health benefits. The real scare tactic is actually the healthcare system of the country they're coming from. In 2017, CoBizMag reported patients mostly travel to the developing world for dental care and cosmetic surgeries, to the developed countries for cancer treatments and stem cells, while they travel to Thailand and Turkey for plastic and cosmetic surgery, which includes sex changes. Although I don't know if I would count those as plastic or cosmetic surgery, but anyway. The article continues with the example that four dental implants would cost around $15,000 in the U.S., but less than half of that in Latin America, and the difference can be used for flights and lodging and still be more affordable than here. Even after the start of COVID, when travel became more precarious, medical tourism didn't slow down. In fact, it picked up as people's health declined, flights and hotels became more affordable, and people were let go from their jobs, thus losing their health insurance. Quote, The Center for Medical Tourism Research found that Google searches in the United States for the terms Mexico medical tourism went up by 64% since July, 
Compared with pre-pandemic levels, the New York Times, my on-again and off-again enemy, reported in January 2021, the stories are all there. A Florida-based flight attendant speaks about walking across the border to get dental care for 18K cheaper. The overnight hospital stay is $300 in Mexico versus $2,000 in the U.S. for a woman seeking a knee replacement who was interviewed by ABC in 2019. And the knee replacement part itself is $3,500 instead of $8,000 in the U.S. And it's not just the U.S. A 77-year-old retired nurse waited 19 months in pain for her own knee replacement, and she finally just traveled from the U.K. to France to have it done immediately. The working poor, as Patients Without Borders head Joseph Woodman called the target market for medical tourism, don't have any other choice but to travel for care or die. Because make no mistake, the current privatized American healthcare system does not care if you live or die. I mean, it cares in the sense that it wants to milk you for more procedures and it doesn't really prioritize preventative measures, but yeah. As I lament the issues with the U.S. healthcare system, I can't ignore that many of these stories I read criticize both England's National Health Service and Canadian Medicare for their long wait times, such as the retired nurse waiting 19 months in pain for her knee replacement surgery. It's a problem so entrenched inside other problems that it makes it hard to parse out where to start fixing it in any of these places. Prices. Wait times. Plus the complete breakdown of trust between people and medical professionals, which is both the fault of the people and of the medical professionals. If medicine is a business, you can bet an industry will crop up and want to keep it from being solved. For example, in the wake of the school shooting in Texas, a jarring and harrowing clip resurfaced from Inside Edition in 2018 that showed the hundreds of thousands of dollars of safety measures available for schools smoke machines, cameras, trained dogs, etc. An entire cottage industry cropping up, making solving the problem even less profitable than stopping donations from the NRA. And for medical tourism, I get a similar feeling. Why make healthcare a human right when it's created a brand new lucrative tourism sector in Thailand? There are friends of mine who cannot leave the U.S. to visit their families in Latin America because of unfair immigration laws. They came here looking for a better life for themselves and in a few of their cases for their children. They left behind everything they knew for the promise of America. And that promise looks like, in reality, in May of 2022, Distractify reporting on a TikToker Delia O'Malley, an Irish woman based in Georgia who flew to Turkey to avoid paying nearly $3,000 for a root canal in the United States. Here's the kicker, the article added. She had insurance coverage as well. It just didn't cover dental because here, dental and vision are separate. Her final total was $800 for her round-trip flight, $200 for a seven-day hotel stay, and around $160 for the root canal, $1,167 in total. A European immigrant moving to America and flying to the Middle East for medical care she cannot afford in either. What a world. Our first interview is with Kurt Schaefer of Medical Tourism Mexico, who very recently used his own company's services to find a doctor to save his life. Our second interview is with Lee Halperin, a fan who wrote in with an incredibly vulnerable experience of medical tourism. Lee left her home country of Israel-Palestine because she wanted the American dream and to leave a country full of war she didn't want any part of. 
The story of how she was cohesively and holistically cared for in Israel-Palestine sounds like nothing I or my family have ever experienced in the U.S. And Leahy did not experience it in the U.S. For Kurt, the story of medical tourism is one of choice and freedom. For Leahy, it was an American nightmare. My name is Kurt Schaefer, and I am a CEO of Medical Tourism Mexico. We are a company based in Texas that our main objective is to advertise and promote certified surgeons from Mexico all over the United States and Canada. So what is medical tourism? It's uh, when you travel to another country for healthcare reasons to be to do a procedure. It could be uh, cosmetic or like um, a heart condition or cancer or whatever the surgery you need. Because usually prices go up, uh, as low as from 70 to 92% lower than the prices in the United States. That's the definition of medical tourism. So th that is fascinating to me. Um, where do most medical tourists come from to Mexico? Actually, that's a very good question. All over. It depends a lot of the city of the, the United States or Canada. And depends a lot of if the patient has family somewhere in the United States, in Mexico. So the city... It's, it varies. Obviously, cities like Mexico City, uh, Guadalajara, or the beaches have more tendency to tourism because of people go and have a lot of that stuff to do and they can bring like an, somebody to accompany them while they're doing the procedure and the other person is not going to be bored. Like they're going to have a lot of activities or their recovery time. So it all depends. For example, there are places where you can have a, like a 24-hour nurse and prices go as low as $20 a day. And usually, for example, in Mexico and the United States, the requirements for being a, a nurse or a surgeon, it's basically the same years, the same process. So it's very similar. So the quality you get, it's basically the same. Obviously, if you go to like a with a top surgical specialist, that's where we come in. We interview the doctors, we review the doctors, and we make sure that the doctors that you're going to visit are quality and are certified, that you're not going to get somebody that could take advantage of the tourist or whatever like that. So how do you verify the doctors? What's the process? Well, we do interviews with them. We do a virtual tour of their where they receive their patients, uh, the whole hospitals they where they operate. We make sure that the hospitals and do work with them. Most of our doctors have their own practices inside the hospitals. So we make sure of them that uh, we ask for degrees, diplomas, certificates, everything. And we go to schools or go online and verify that everything is up to date and that the doctor is qualified to do the procedures that they're offering to do. What does this say about the American healthcare system that it's cheaper in Mexico. I mean, what what is as you've observed this, like what what does this say about healthcare in the US? Basically, it's people just want quality sometimes that they cannot afford and I don't think it says anything bad about the the American health healthcare system. For example, we have a lot of people from Canada and the situation as far as I know, healthcare there is like free for all, something like that. People don't have to pay for a lot of the procedures. But the issue is that, for example, if you have like a hip surgery or you need hip surgery and you're in pain, they're going to schedule your surgery. But approximately 61% of Canadians have to worry about more than a month to get the first appointment. So if you're in pain and they're saying to you, hey, wait a month or two, 
that's where people go like, hey, we can go to Mexico and get that same procedure for like $5,000 plus like $500 in airfare. I think that's a good deal. Do most of them stay after and like vacation? <laughs> Some of them, yes. There's a lot of, for example, uh, when you talk about cosmetic surgeries, people that uh, insurance don't cover that or some of weight loss surgeries or dental, that's very common that they don't cover that. So yes, usually people come, most surgeries, they get a recovery of from five to three or depending on the type of surgery, they take they are here, they enjoy it and basically try to make the most of the trip. Uh, another thing that I've noticed is that, for example, uh, post-care, post-surgical care, it's super affordable over there. So for example, if you get a surgery or whatever, and then you need a 24-hour nurse, it's going to be very affordable for you to get that help without being uh, super expensive. I, I wonder if it does say something about the American healthcare system or the Canadian healthcare system, because why, you know, why is it so much less expensive in Mexico? Why is stuff more accessible, especially like what you were talking about, like dental care? you know, like not being covered by insurance. I mean, are most people paying out of pocket in Mexico? And it like it's shocking or not shocking because uh, we know that the healthcare system in the U.S. is not that great, but like that you can pay out of pocket, pay for your flight, and it would still be less expensive than in the U.S. Yes. Labor costs are cheaper. That's one. Uh, All the utilities for hospital, for example, electric, gas, water, all the utilities are way cheaper. That makes an impact on what I think it's, it affects the, the prices. I think that's one of the main reasons. Also doctors, the wages of the doctors, if they go like with super high wages, they're not going to have patients in Mexico and they cannot live out of medical tourism alone. So I think that's one of the main reasons. Oh, they don't, they don't charge as much. I mean, is it because the, the the people in Mexico can't afford the prices the way that people in the U.S. I mean, people in the U.S. can't afford the prices either, but. Yeah, it's a, it's a, the exchange rate. For example, oh. uh, $1 is like 20 pesos. You make a, an appointment with a doctor and it's going to cost you like $30 that it's like 600 pesos. So it's uh, average in Mexico. But when you do the exchange rate, you're going to see that it's very affordable. For example, uh, I had a, a medical situation. I needed a aortic valve transplant. So I went to Monterrey and I got the surgery done. I stayed there for 15 days, approximately. I took my mom, my brother, and we stayed in a hotel for the whole procedure. I kind of calculated how much would that would have cost me in Texas. And it would have been like almost a quarter of a million dollars. And oh my God. the kind of surgery that I needed. And here, it was like almost... Sixty-five, sixty-nine thousand $69,000 with airfare and everything. And then I got the same parts. I got the same everything. Just the doctors were speaking Spanish and I speak Spanish. So it was a big deal for me. But yeah, it was cheaper. And if I would have gone in Texas, I really wouldn't afford like the top hospital. Mm-hmm. That would have been like way, way, way over my budget. And when I did the medical tourism, I went to the best hospital. It was a level four uh, high speciality in cardiac surgery. So it was like, when I went there, it was like, I was like, is this Mexico? Is this really? Because I was surprised. 
it was surprising. It was like very, very modern, nice. Did insurance cover any of that for you? Uh, yes, it could have, I guess. I really, I had two insurance. I have insurance in Mexico. I had insurance in the United States. But again, that timing and the hassle, because I had the most affordable one in the United States. So I wanted to get the best. And I didn't thought I was going to need it. So I didn't pay a lot of attention to it because I'm in Texas and it borders with Mexico. So it was easy to have both insurance. So I, and the insurance in Mexico, that was like uh, $800 a year. So it was super affordable. So I used it instead. I mean, if I'm selling it, I want to try it. <laughs> did it save you? I mean, did it end up costing $69,000 or the insurance covered a lot of it? The insurance covered all of it. I only paid like, uh, wow. to be honest, with the whole trip and food and flights and stuff, I think I paid like $6,000. That's it. For wow. a 15 day stay in Monterrey in a good hotel, food and all. So it was, it was good. <laughs> I came out I mean, of it alive. So, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You were like, my heart, it works. Yes, it works. This was six months ago. Oh my God. Good for you. <laughs> Thank you. This was six months ago. Wow. So, I mean, what is it? What sort of procedures? You said dental. And then, you know, it's some are kind of heartbreaking when you hear, you know, like IVF or cancer. It seems like, or I read something, you know, about procedures that are unavailable in the U.S. What kind of, what's not available that you can, that is available? Well, there are uh, some procedures, but we don't work with those. We focus oh, only it. on procedures that are, are available in the United States, but a lower cost. Got That's it. Our, main, uh, our main objective. We work with our procedures. Our specialists are cardiology, mm -hmm. oncology, bariatric surgery, plastic surgery, orthopedic, eye surgeon, gynecology, fertility. Well, a couple more, Dentist. but basically uh, procedures like, for example, oncology. You cannot go to Mexico and travel and like get your, the opinion and then go back and then go back and forth. That's not how it works. But for example, uh, if you're like in the United States or Canada or Europe or whatever, and you have like somebody detected that you need it and you have everything done in your country of origin, like the United States, and then everything's taken care of, but you need the surgery. If you have insurance, well, then good for you. Sometimes if you pay the deductible and everything, it's going to be cheaper depending on your insurance. But if you're uninsured or you have insurance that is limited to that particular procedure that you have, you can have like everything, your treatment, your doctor is going to be in your country and you just travel to Mexico and get like the surgery done and then go wow. back for the recovery. And that's like usually super affordable. You just travel and get the surgery and then go back. That's what I did. Came back home and I have my doctor here and everything here, but I did the surgery, the expensive part. I did it somewhere else. They can share history or if medical you need a ex medical exam yeah whatever and then you can get it there before any surgery you're gonna have to get it at the one day before your surgery so even that is very affordable here for example a complete medical physical it's gonna cost you like 60 dollars something like that wow it's very affordable so that's usually how it works or with dental care implants stuff like that you can travel get them done and then go back in six months to finish the process and and that's it 
or if you're on the border, that we have a lot of doctors. We work all over Mexico. We go all the way to Cancun, Merida, mm -hmm. and all on the border. So if you're on the border, like me, that I'm in El Paso, Texas, and Ciudad Juarez, I can just travel there, get it done, come back. Travel drive. there, get it done. And yeah, it's like a, to be honest, 12-minute drive from door to door. Oh, my God. So what other countries uh, are big in medical tourism? We only manage or work with Mexico, but I've heard that uh, India is big. A lot of places in Brazil, but our company only works with Mexico because usually airfare for the United States to Mexico, it's very affordable. And usually every city can have like a quick flight to any other cities in Mexico that have top surgeons. Why do people, you know, it's interesting, like I was researching and I was reading all this stuff about like medical tourism and, and being great. And then, uh, like I said, you know, saying, oh, procedures that are not available in the United States that I got from like the CDC or like government websites, which I think the U.S. This is a conspiracy, maybe, but I think the U.S. government websites are were a little bit trying to shy people away from medical tourism. They were a little bit sort of trying to make it seem very dangerous. And then sometimes you hear these like stories of like dangerous, like, oh, it's so dangerous to do that. Do you think that those are like overblown? I think so, yes. Because for example, I have a statistic about how many uh, Latin people live in the United States. And the statistic is approximately 19% uh, of the the population in the United States, it's uh, Hispanic. 50% of that 90% do medical tourism. So it's overall, overly exaggerated when they say that, yeah, for example, if you say Detroit is dangerous or stuff like that, if you go to the bad parts of town, like any town, but if you go to the places where people go to do tourism and the beaches or stuff like that, I think it's pretty safe. Yeah, it is. I feel like it is like racist in some ways. They're like, oh, if you go to Mexico, they're going to inject cement into your body. Like, I feel like it's like it's somehow like this scare tactic thing that like maybe is racist. I kind of get it sometimes. Try to imagine it like this. You know, there are people that are trying to take advantage of other people everywhere. That's nothing mm -hmm. that's specific from Mexico or specific to the United States or Canada, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's something that happens as a society. So basically, if, you, if you're not from the city, I'm guessing if, you're, if you've ever been on a vacation or whatever. I've been to California and you go walking on Venice Beach and then there are places like, come, get here, get this, get this. Mm -hmm. And you don't know the place. And then you, okay, I'll get it. Maybe you get sick and then you go with a friend and she says, you never eat there. That's like bad place to go. So I'm mm -hmm. guessing it's very similar. Yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it definitely makes sense. I mean, it definitely makes sense. It's just so wild the level of savings that you can have for medical tourism. And like, because that's what I was looking up, you know, all these statistics of like, India, like you said, is like almost could be like 90%, which is just so wild. I know. And where we come in is, for example, we take, we're like your friend on the trip that says to you, we don't, we recommend this place. We recommend this doctor because we already did a background check on him and you're not going to get any medical surprises that, hey, he's not a 
board certified surgeon or he doesn't have this or whatever. So we are like the friend that's walking with you in Venice Beach saying, you can eat there. You cannot eat there. You can visit mm -hmm. there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Basically, that's that's our job. Uh, I've As a company, we've searched the option of working in other countries, but we found that Mexico, it's in education Easier. wise, it's very similar. And it's more, and yeah, it's more similar. How do you handle the language barrier? We only work with doctors that do speak English. So that's another, another thing that if a doctor, uh, if we are select a doctor or if a doctor has to, wants to work with us and he passes all the reviews, then one of the points is he has to speak English. There are some places or some doctors that have a, person who is a translator so that helps basically that's it but usually most of the patients canadians are the ones that are uh, they don't speak or say i don't think they they can even say hola that's as much as they say <laughs> Spanish. Uh, north americans usually most of them like they do understand it a little bit they're not so lost but it has been my experience that Canadians, those are super lost. They're not so familiar with the language. And we do take the time for to reach out to customers that have used the, our service or website to record their experience or take notes. And we do publish their testimonies and how their experience went and take the time to do that either in with an interview or if they send us a sign letter or an email, we can post it so it will help other people see the advantages and their experience. So in five years, we haven't had any bad experience so far. Oh. I'm going to tap on wood. <laughs> if, you, if you hear the bump, that's why. <laughs> I'm curious too about like gender confirmation surgery because I think there's stuff where it's like, oh, you go to Thailand, you go to you know, India or Brazil for those types of things. Uh, do you guys do that in Mexico too? I'm glad you, you mentioned that part. I think in Mexico, uh, our job is, again, we select and we look and we work only with very ethical doctors that are going to do procedures according to regulations that are in Mexico and the United States, and they're not going to go outside that box. There's a lot of procedures that you can get everywhere, but they're not regulated in the United States or in Mexico. So that's why we like Mexico. Uh, that type of surgeries, we do have three or four surgeons that do help in, with those procedures. And we're trying to promote that a little bit more. So yes, and it's very affordable. They're very uh, uh, gay-friendly cities that are super gay-friendly. Uh, they have a big pride. Uh, yeah, they'll have fun. <laughs> Um, how do you pay? Do you pay with a debit card? Do you pay in cash? Like, how do you how do you pay if you travel? Usually, well, I pay with my credit card. Mm -hmm. It is a good uh, I, because I do travel tend to travel a lot to Mexico. It is a good thing to call your your credit card company or log in with them and say, "Hey, I'm gonna go on vacation in Mexico. So if you see a couple of charges from there, it's okay." And then you just give them notice, and then the company says, "Okay, I paid it with my credit card. I had no issue with it." Is the exchange rate better to pay with a card than with just like a bunch of cash? <laughs> well, I wouldn't be driving with uh, fifty thousand dollars in oh, my right, car. Right, I know. So yeah, I wouldn't do that. In the United States, and I wouldn't do that in Mexico. So, yes, I did pay with a debit card. And the doctor in the U.S. doesn't try to discourage you from going to Mexico for the surgery. 
Well, not discouraged, but he didn't say anything bad about it. And actually he didn't because uh, as a patient, you have the choice to select the doctor you want to go. And he knew that if we're speaking of cardiology or oncology, you have several types. It's like the medical doctor, and then there's the surgical doctor, and then it's the one that provides in chemotherapy doctor. So they're different specialists. So I wasn't changing my medical doctor. I was just not choosing one from his team to do the surgical procedure. That's that's the only thing. And then I came back to my medical doctor and continued the whole treatment and medications and everything like that. Medications, to buy them over there is also very affordable. So final question for the people listening. Is it safe to do medical tourism? Well, as a surviving patient of open heart surgery, I would say yes. <laughs> I had no issues. Uh, everything is good. We use Uber to travel from the hotel to the hospital. I know it's going to sound weird because I'm selling the product, but I use the product and I'm selling the product. But after I, my, I finished my whole process, I talked to my team that I have them all here. And we were. I was like, hey, our information is really accurate. <laughs> everything was on point. Everything. The hotel, the distance, the everything was on point. But everything in their website. And if my brother was there, I was like, hey, dude, whatever. And it was like, check out our website, dude. And everything you need to do was there. Don't bug me. And it was. So in my experience, it was safe. I've done dental work. My dentist is there. I had a root canal done. I'm getting a crown done. So far, everything is safe. But again, you have to go to a certified doctor. If you see somebody do some digging, do some research, make sure you're going to a certified doctor. Because if you go to a certified doctor, you're going to be okay. Make sure that the place is clean. It's in a safe zone. It's nice. The normal precautions you would take when doing anything. You know, that was my experience. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you and more about your business? Through our website, medicaltourismmex.com. Everything you need to know is there. I don't have my experience posted there yet, but you can see all our doctors and I'm sure that your listeners are going to find out everything about my procedure and all the procedures they can do safely over there. Well, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. And I'm glad, and I'm glad for you to share your own story too. Thank you so much for, for inviting us. And now we're going to talk to Leehee Halperin, a longtime Bad With Money listener who came to America hoping for a better life than the one she had in Israel-Palestine and was gaslit almost to death by the U.S. healthcare system. I'm Leehee Halperin, and I'm a writer, and I make my own creams and salves, and that's it. And you're a listener of this show, um, and you uh, wrote me an email, uh, <laughs> but then you just showed me a notepad where it says email Gabby because you said you want to email me every show Yeah, <laughs> about different topics. Yeah. I mean, I do have a lot to say, but we also seem to have very similar kind of life, I guess, both being writers and I used to live in a cabin. And yeah, so there's a lot of stuff that I'm like, oh, I should write about this. I should write about that. But when it came to my medical story, I was like, okay, I got to do this. I would, I would love to take a look at just list of things that you wanted to email me about. I feel like uh, that makes me feel very um, special and like someone actually listens to the show. Anytime anyone writes in, I'm like a listener. And they're like, you actually have thousands of listeners. And I was like, proof. <laughs> uh, so this episode is about medical tourism. We talked to uh, someone who runs medical tourism from different places, largely the U.S. and Canada to Mexico, 
But you wrote in about going home to Israel for medical care that you desperately needed. So um, can we start at the beginning of your email and and what was going on? Okay, so the backstory is that um, when I was 17, my mom took me to the gynecologist and he, well, it was she, <laughs> she gave me like the low dose birth control that they just roll out to any any reason. If you have skin issue or whatever, like they'll roll it out and be like, here's a fix, take this. Three months after that, I ended up in the ICU with my entire brain um, filled with blood cloth. Oh my God. Because apparently I had a blood cloth issue in my blood that they don't test for. They just roll it out. Um, 10% of the population have some sort of blood issue that could. So anyway, um, after about a year of follow-up and lots of MRIs and scans and blood thinners and all that kind of fun stuff, which was all free in Israel because the healthcare system is right. Yeah. So let me ask. so, So you were from Israel and you were in Israel doing all of this. And what is the healthcare setup there? So you pay about $25 a month and that's about it. You get everything for free. Um, The only thing you have to do is prove that you're not doing unnecessary medical stuff. So if you go to the uh, emergency room, you're going to have to be admitted or a doctor like saying that, yes, this was something that was scary enough to go to the emergency room. Mm -hmm. And then it's all free. The ambulance ride, everything like you don't pay for anything. And are there long wait times for different doctors? Now there are, but when I was, it was, it was okay. It was actually, I had every doctor that I needed, like come to the hospital that I was in because of how everything is um, in the same system. There's none of, you know, none of that. um, This doctor works with this thing and this, you know, none of that. It was really helpful because they needed someone who's special in blood, someone who's special in brain, like all that kind of stuff to work together and figure this out, which I found out in the States doesn't happen. Yeah. So in your uh, email, you talked about how then you were in Israel and you had brain scans every three months and all of this stuff was covered by the healthcare system. And then at age 26, you moved to the U.S., And then when did you start having symptoms again? Um, Four years later, on the age of 30. And I I have to say that I've seen documentaries about the healthcare system in the States and something in me like didn't click, something that didn't want to believe that that's possible, that people are treated this way. Just something in my brain that would not want to connect the two. But yeah, when I started having symptoms... I started seeing the awfulness of the healthcare system. Um, It started with going to the emergency room and them telling me that, well, you came at 8 p.m. and this only works from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. So you can come back tomorrow if you're still alive or you can drive two hours away to the other hospital, which is already in another state. So I can't use that hospital. Right. Okay. So what, what brought you to the States? First of all, just wondering. A stupid boy. Sure. Uh, Haven't we all? You had heard that the U.S. healthcare system was different, but you started in your email, you said you started throwing up and your face was getting numb and everything. And so you went to the doctor, like you said, and 
they just kind of said, okay, well, we can't see you right now. So then how long did it take for them to actually see you? Then I came back the next morning after being freaked out all night and they did that, but they did the wrong test. So when I was sent to the doctor to see the test, which is also two hours away, they said, oh, well, this is the wrong test. So you got to go do the test. And every time it takes about three to four months to even get the appointment. And the system works this way that if you want a good doctor in San Francisco, you have to go through all of the steps of the not great doctors that you have in your local place. And only when they decide, oh, there's nothing I can do about this, then I'm allowed to go to an actual doctor who knows what he's talking about. So that took about seven to eight months to even get to see somebody. And I don't think that I would have gotten that doctor if I didn't had what I had, which was very dangerous. And like at that point, I realized, okay, she gets to see the specialist. And then when I spoke to him, I accidentally said that it gets worse on my period. And that was it lost any kind of listening from him. He was just like, oh, whatever, it's in your head or whatever it is. Then he sent me to do this really expensive test that luckily I didn't pay for because I'm too poor for California to take any money from me. But I do feel like it was an unnecessary test. It cost about $3,000, no, (gasps) $30,000. Like they go in with a camera into you. Yeah. It's, (laughs) I looked it up and I was shocked by like how much it cost if I had to pay it, but they do get it from California. So somebody's making money out of me needing care. And which is, I think the reason why they just keep sending you to all these tests and like never really take the time to really understand what's wrong with you. Because if you figure it out, then you're not, you know, you're not paying all these tests and you're not going from place to place from doctor to doctor. And the one thing I also realized is when you're on that low level insurance, poor people thing, you don't have a primary care doctor. Like you're just being pushed away from one doctor to another and there's nobody actually looking at everything and going, okay, let's figure this out and see what's going on. So yeah, at that point I was like, I'm just going to die here. I'm going to wow slowly die here because I'm just being pushed from one to another, I decided that I'm just going to go back home and try to figure it out there where I will at least know that they're able to try to help me. And they're not just looking at me as a wallet that they can just take however much money they can. Wow. And because of the system in Israel is the way it's set up, they don't have any incentive to keep pushing me from one doctor to another. They have an incentive to keep me healthy and get off their system and not keep going to doctors because it's the government that has to pay for it and not me. So you were on like covered California or like Medicare in California. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you were seeing all the bills or looking up how much these things cost, but but you weren't sure like what what it was for, if it was medically necessary, or did you feel like there was a lack of explaining what was going on to you? There was a lot of um, just, you don't have money, you're a woman, (laughs) you're an immigrant, so, you know, I'm the man and I'm going to explain to you what, what you have. It didn't matter how much I explained what I had, and I am very knowledgeable in what I had. 
Like I researched into it a lot. It didn't matter. They just like, whatever. Yeah. The the part about being an immigrant and a woman, I think will be probably pretty relatable to the people listening to this. As soon as I read in your email that you said that it was brought on by birth control or that it had to do with your period and they immediately zoned you out and started giving you pills for the symptoms rather than trying to figure out the root cause or be preventative. I was like, yup, yup, yup. That's exactly it. Yep. (laughs) So it's so interesting to hear. I think because people think of the Middle East as I mean, they have all these terrible media portrayals of like how primitive and whatever it is. And for you to come here, like having heard horror stories about the U.S. healthcare system, and then to know that in the end of this story, you go back to Israel where you just paid for a flight to Israel and then paid a monthly fee of like $300 and it all cost you way less and you had everything figured out. But you went back and then you had to pay a fee And like, what what would the difference have been and what was it actually like? So the fee is for a private insurance company that somehow, I have no idea how, have managed to kind of go in between because Israel has this system where they kind of punish you for every year that you didn't live in Israel. You have to wait a month. Like, I have to be punished for... Oh my God. Yeah. So, and I was here for about nine years. So I'm like, I ain't waiting nine months. Oh my God. So this company kind of, you know, swept in and they charge you and they do all the thing, you know, all the work they have to do, but they manage to somehow make it that they don't pay for pre-existing conditions. Like they somehow managed to take that system from the States into Israel, which I was surprised. What does that mean? So what did that mean for for you going there? For me, it meant that if anything had to do with asthma, that it wouldn't be covered. Wouldn't be. Yeah, it wouldn't be covered. I don't know why they didn't understand what I had in my blood was like more financially uh, bad for them. Yeah, they, just, they didn't consider that a pre-existing condition? Nope. They thought it was... Yeah, I, don't, I was very surprised, but I was like, okay, you have no idea how much money I'm going to cost you right now because <laughs> oh I'm going to all the doctors <laughs> to figure out what I have. But yeah, it was just $300. And the one thing I had... Well, two things I had to deal with. One, there were missiles flying around and everybody in Israel is already used to it and I'm not. So I was like... And the second thing was every doctor, I, everybody, not doc, just doctors, like the, the nurses, the secretary, everybody. First thing they say, oh, if America is so great, why are you here seeking health care? Really? They all said that? Yep. <laughs> every one of them. That's what you get. Like, <laughs> And then you have to explain, yeah, it, it's really not great. <laughs> it's not oh what you think. Oh, my God. It's not what you see on TV. Like you have to be that person. (laughs) Oh my God. I mean, in some ways it's not what you see on TV and in some ways it is what you see on TV. It depends on if you're watching a documentary or if you're watching like a house. I was, I was shocked. This affects rich people too. Like if you're rich and and they see you as a wallet, you're not going to get the care that you need. It doesn't matter. As long as there's profit in the system. Yeah. It's not in anyone's interest to keep you healthy. Right. Exactly. So were you, how did you feel when you realized it would make more sense to to go back to Israel to get 
treatment for all of this and and how and that would make more sense financially i felt like i'm you know just kind of giving up on everything that i'm going back home to the place that i left to the place that i was interviewed in the israeli media saying i'm never coming back to this place <laughs> really yeah i there's a headline in hebrew saying i rather be super poor in california than to go back to Israel. And yeah, I lived my dream, I guess. Wow. <laughs> I managed to be super poor and go back to Israel. So you came to America looking for the American dream, like literally. Well, first I was a boy and then I was like, yeah. Of course, right. <laughs> Part of the American dream or the American nightmare. Uh, so then it, that's so awful then. I feel like so many immigrants can relate to then feeling like betrayed by that. Well, yeah, there was, you know, living... Where I lived was also another reminder of how um, this was all a facade. <laughs> and even when you look like them, but you don't talk like them or have the same religion, that that's enough to right. just be outcast in a way that is, yeah. You did not find Americans to be welcoming. No. I mean, they're welcoming on the West Coast, they're welcoming in a passive aggressive way. And then now I live on the East Coast and they're just not welcoming <laughs> I oh love you God. all, but <laughs> you're not welcoming. No, no. I think this is, I think a lot of immigrants probably feel this the same way. And, and to come here and to wh what you said exactly, where if it doesn't translate to audio, Lee went like, you know, I look white, uh, but I don't talk with an American accent. So I'm immediately ostracized is what she meant by when you look like them, but you don't talk like them or you don't have the same religion as them, um, I think is like a very poignant um insight. So then it says that it took two months and a bunch of tests. And they were some tests that were offered in the US, but you would have had to pay for them 100% out of pocket. So after two months in Israel, what what ended up happening? What was the solution? They, somebody really looked into like my eye and started asking me, what I eat, if I'm stressed, all kinds of questions that nobody's asked me in the States. And realized that I had, like, what happened to me when I was 17 had damage, but because there was no follow-up, because of me, I, I just wanted to live my life. I was 18 and I was like, I ain't doing this anymore. By the way, the army was like, we don't want you <laughs> with your medical stuff. And I was like, great, I didn't ever want it to go. <laughs> so, so yeah, they just uh, looked into my eye. They started asking me all these questions and they gave me this, like, eye exercise where if you have glasses, you can lower your number with that kind of exercise. It's really torture, but it worked. After three months of doing that every day, I managed to go back to a place where I am functioning. I can, I can talk to you on a screen right now, which is amazing. I couldn't even look at screens. It was just torture. That's all it took. It didn't take pills. It didn't take going into my body with a camera. It didn't take any of those things. It just took somebody actually looking and asking me and yeah, I was also really, really stressed. Yeah. <laughs> Which I have said, yeah, I thought I was going to die for the last two years straight, like every single day. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So your ticket to Israel, your ticket to Israel was $1,400. You took your dog with you. So that was $1,200. 
Mm-hmm. And then um, you sold your house and lived with your mom in a one bedroom in Israel for six months while this all got sorted out. Um, yes. And then you said that you returned to the US and you had a big gap in your resume. And so nobody wanted to hire you. And then finding a place to rent with no job was also pretty impossible. Um, and these are all things that tie together with the US system. Like it's all built this way. Why did you still want to come back? Once you live a life that is not constant war, it's really hard to go back there. Like I grew up, my first memory is um, putting on the gas mask for the Gulf War. And it never hit me until I came here and I was just growing up in war. And that's why I said when I came back, that there were missiles and everyone were already used to it. I freaked out. I like lost it. And everybody laughed at me and called me American. Wow. God, what a what a choice that you've had to make. I mean, we always talk about here, no, no place is good. But like, I mean, this is this is also like I think very relatable to to other immigrants too, in that like you're just deciding the US is is maybe the evil I can deal with versus like you know, the evil that is maybe more pressing. I just wish that people who were in charge of healthcare policy, and maybe they do know this and they just don't care, but to understand that this is not a choice that people should have to be making. And there are plenty of people in the US that like don't, can't go home, you know, and why, and even Kurt, who we spoke to before, the fact that that has to exist, that he lives in Texas and he drives across into Mexico for dental care. We should be ashamed of that, frankly. I agree. The other thing that is very bad is that the U.S. is looked on, you know, like the sunshine of the world. So they're trying in Israel to do the same stuff. Like they try to privatize everything and they're saying, look how great it's working in the States. Like it's not working great. (laughs) They have taken steps to kind of privatize it. They made like fancier hospitals, which you can go to now, which, you know, always dilutes the good doctors from the public hospitals. And yeah, it's a process where the States kind of influence other countries, especially Israel. Israel loves to look up to the States. They love it. Yeah, I mean, okay, say more about that. So Israel looks up to the states, and so they want to mimic, in in order to make more money, mimic the, the U.S. healthcare system? Yes. We started as a very socialist country, and then in the last, I would say, 15 years, there's been a, like, a, let's be like the states, like, let's have all the money and not care about our citizen. And they're just, yeah, they're tra- trying to push that narrative as much as they can. Wow. Yeah. And that's a danger that I don't think we talk about enough in terms of the healthcare system in the US is that we are, we don't have a lot of like ability to zoom out and see the way that other countries see us. We just don't have any concept of how we're seen by these people who come into the States with these big hopes and dreams um, and these other countries and the way that they view us as the gold standard. And that the way that that is detrimental to both people and also to like the future trajectory of these other quote unquote democracies. That's really upsetting. Lehi, thank you for bringing that to my attention. Uh, <laughs> You're welcome. Wow. Um, wow. So if someone if someone was thinking about traveling for healthcare. Is that something that you like would recommend someone do if they said, oh, I'm having all this trouble and I don't know, I could maybe go back to my home country or I could try to go to Mexico or Canada or something? I mean, do you feel like it saved your life? Yes. 
I feel like if I stayed another year in that place, I was losing my mind, being gaslighted, like feeling like I'm going to die. It was really bad. Uh, if I stayed another year like this, I would probably either really ruin my health, but also I wasn't able to work all this time because of how awful I felt. So probably would have lost the cabin that I had. It didn't work much, but still, you know, it only takes a few years and they can take it back. So I would recommend to anybody feeling like they reached the end of their journey with the medical system where it's just the same and, you know, no one is really listening to you. Everybody where I lived, like even the regular people, not just the doctors, they were like, oh, it's just a spider bite. It's just, you know, like, and I'm, I'm starting to think, oh, because none of you ever go to see like a specialist, none of you ever gets the real truth about what happened to you. So some of you might had a stroke, some of you might had a heart attack, and you're just being told, oh, it's, it's an allergy, whatever reason they can find to just, you know, send you away, get the bill and move on. Wow. Um, well, thank you so much for writing in and for coming on and talking to us. If you want to be found on the internet, where can people find you? If you don't want to be found, that's fine too. Well, if you want to read about the trip that I took after all of this <laughs> all over the country <laughs> because I was homeless <laughs> and oh, nobody wanted to hire me. So I was like, okay, this is the time to take the trip that I always wanted. Oh, um that's worldendingtrip.com. Wow. That's a great yeah. name. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really love your show. And as I said on my email, I have listened to you from West Coast, East Coast, and Israel. So. The aforementioned 2021 New York Times piece quotes a woman named Melissa Jackson, a beauty salon manager in need of a hysterectomy, as choosing to travel abroad for healthcare rather than go to a lower cost facility in nearby New Jersey, because in the US, the cheaper option might mean worse care. Whereas in Mexico, she won't just be at an outpatient facility, she'll be at a top rated hospital, one she trusts for a price she can afford. In August 2019, ABC News reported on a story where a U.S. surgeon also flew to Mexico to perform a surgery on a medical tourist. Not only was the patient a tourist, but the doctor was, too. Quote, the hospital costs of the American medical system are so high that it made financial sense for both a highly trained orthopedist from Milwaukee and a patient from Mississippi to leave the country and meet at an upscale private Mexican hospital for the surgery. Phil Gallowitz of Kaiser Health News wrote for a story titled Medical Tourism Can Save Employers and Patients Money. The doctor was part of a program that flies medical professionals out so that medical tourists can have American doctors even in foreign countries. The article paints this as a positive, but it came across to me as taking one problem and displacing other people to solve it. A similar vibe to the growing school shooting consultant and school shooting preventative industrial complex. And I should say, people do also travel to the United States for care, but every story I found focused mostly on how U.S. doctors were better, but none mentioned how much these travelers were paying. For example, WFTV9 out of Orlando covered a Romanian boy who last month got life-saving brain surgery in Florida and quoted his mother as saying, We chose to go in the United States because we chose the doctors. As a parent, you want the best for your kids, no matter what cost, no matter how hard it is and how difficult it is. 
The cost, notably, isn't mentioned in the piece at all. We hear the mother say that it costs a lot, that it's hard, and that it's difficult to get the care in the United States that this boy needed, but they do not ever say what the cost actually was. For Kurt, medical tourism is an opportunity. It gave him his career and restarted his heart. For Leahy, it saved her life, but brought her back to a home country she vowed never to return to. Price and convenience, bought and paid for, like so much else that keeps us alive. I would love to hear from you. Be sure to send me an email at gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 844-474-4040. You can also email me a voice memo if you prefer. Join our online communities too. We're on Instagram, Discord, TikTok, Patreon, and Facebook. Links to all of these will be listed in the episode description. Oh, and don't forget to listen to the show the day it drops so we can get on the charts and spread the word. Also, leave me a five-star Apple review. Please, it helps the show. Thanks so much. Bye! Done.